Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. And that's where we're June 2, Bay FM 999. Thanks to all of our sponsors, and thanks to those also who came to the... Uh, the Bay FM Christmas Disco on Saturday night. It was great fun. We were there for a fair while, but left a bit early. and didn't feel like the big rage, but certainly had a great time early on. And thanks to all the DJs, all the work from all the Bay FM, uh, all the Bay FM people, uh, volunteers who worked on the door, and uh, the DJs who did such a great job. And thanks for all coming and uh, helping Bay FM keep on the road, because it's, a, it's a quite a big fundraiser, these Christmas parties and the middle-of-the-year party, which will also be the next one sometime in the middle of next year. You're tuned out of Future Sense with Nick and Steve. Steve, you've been away up the coast um, into in uh, an interesting experience up near Gympie, of all places. Up that way, I've been dancing in the forest. You've been dancing the in the forest. Well done. It's lovely to see you. Lovely to see you moving your, your limbs like it's that. It's good to good to get. It's been a while, actually. It was just such a lovely breakaway. Yeah. Get out there and barefoot in the dirt. And so you 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 pass through Gympie, which is a you know fairly conservative part of Australia, uh, and then ended up in the in the woods in the forest. Yes, it was an interesting little mm. uh, values comparison. I stopped in Gympie, went into the the shopping mall there, um, and uh, you know there was a big advertising lit up billboard thing for one of the local Christian churches. Yes. Uh, God bless them. Talking about a good values-based education for the local children. And it's it's quite interesting. There's a definitely a Bible belt through that part of Queensland there, particularly yep. around sort of mm. Gympie through, and maybe even further south and, and up through Harvey Bay. Lots of churchy organisations. Churchy, churchy organisations. Yeah. Protected as they are as much as possible by our current government, Scott Morrison and the like. They like to protect their own one could say my opinion yeah yeah mm. I, you know it's um as we as we've nothing wrong before, with church by the way folks if that's what gets your rocks off if that's where you find value kind of so organizations that have come out of the the, the fourth layer mm. of um human development and uh, hanging on tight to those interpretations of life the universe and everything it's a very stable thing for many people isn't it the well, notion it is, of the yeah. church it, and it's it sort of uh, correlates with the agricultural lifestyle of you know long mm. long term outlook things don't change much in the short term yeah um, and um, be good for your whole life and maybe you'll go to heaven when mm. it's finished kind of thing bit of serfdom is good for you and of course we're seeing many movements in the religious uh, sphere these days some of some of which we can't really talk some about of which can't be mentioned at all we can't fact, mention the at all Herald Sun didn't mention no. something on their front page no, they didn't mention something at all nothing uh, at all happened big, there a big black thing mm. that said censored we censored. can't mention this but that's right we'd like to can't talk about it. we'd love to yeah if you do want to find out about that you can go to some overseas outlets you might find out what we're talking about you probably know already if you're an educated person which you are but along those same lines, of course, the Australian government has just announced that West Jerusalem uh, be the capital of Israel, rather than moving the embassy, which was just a little bit a bridge a little bit too far, I think, for the Morrison government. They have nevertheless tipped their hat hat to something. Well, I think it's it's quite a, a smart move by Scott Morrison. He's managed to offend everybody. Whereas, you know, he could have gone one way or the other just way offended and one just side. offended one side, but he's offended everyone because he hasn't fully supported the 
Jerusalem thing from Israel and the US's point of view, and he's uh, offended everyone by having a bet each way, yeah. which is you know the kind of thing that Scott Morrison would do, have a bet each way. Yes, yeah. it, that's right. I think. <laughs> Put on his cap, yeah. pick up a beer and have a bet each way, no yeah. problems, yeah. And, uh, and pray on the weekend. No offence, Scott, you're doing your, your job, I suppose. Doing the best he can. Doing the best he can. And that's the point, isn't it? That, that it when is. there is a values gap, when there's values differences between different people in different sort of stages of evolution, yeah. pretty hard to, you can't tell them what's right or wrong because they have their own version. That's that really. It's easy much. to be cynical and, and yes, say that they're bad people, but you really need to recognise that this is where they're at. You know, that This is their underlying framework for making sense of the world. And, and surviving in the world is to behave in a particular way. It's it's kind of like a like a computer program, really. You know, it's an operating system that that gets installed at a, at a particular point, and uh, we run according to it, and uh, until it doesn't work. And mm. then when it doesn't work, we usually keep running according to it just to see if it might start working again. But uh, inevitably, we have to go through some change and install a new system and upgrade. Well, of course, you as just coming back to being up in uh, in Gympie and and going into the yes. forest to dance. Of course, it's a completely different sort of set of values going on there. I guess. Compared yeah, to- absolutely. It was quite a contrast mm. um, to arrive in the forest, and uh, I was blessed to be invited up to to what was kind of really a, a private uh, electronic music event, I guess, in the forest up there. Mm. Um, an arrangement put together by a bunch of people from the sunny coast and uh, it's been running for a couple of years now uh, but it's really it's limited to sort of friends and friends of friends so it's it's mm. kind of like a big private party yeah. uh, about 150 people and it was really really nice you know mm. virtually everybody knew each other they were a wonderful evolved group of people very respectful you know looked after the landscape and a, and a great setting with wonderful swimming holes and yeah so when you say evolved people um, what do you mean by that i just mean um in adherence with the new paradigm <laughs> adherence with the new paradigm is it adherence with or to the new in sync with the new paradigm would probably be better but just yeah just you know a, a bunch of lovely um, open, transparent, loving people who mm. you know care for the world and the planet and each other and mm. enjoy some good electronic music and like to dance barefoot in the dirt. And you also did give a little bit of a talk up there. I um, did. Because I it did. wasn't just a party. It was also um, you know a bit more than that. It was, yeah. yeah. I gave a, a breakfast talk on breakfast Sunday talk. morning, which I was a bit concerned that no one would turn up or, no. or those that would turn up had been up all night. And, yes. But actually, uh, I was surprised. I, I had a good turnout. At eight AM, and uh, lots of Must people the, very the, interested. In the mushroom audience. omelets, perhaps. Could, could have been. I didn't see any omelets, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anything else you can tell us about up there? Because of course, it's such a great thing to imagine these kind of small, granted small events, but nevertheless, yeah. uh, sort of lodged in this uh, quite as you said, the sort of Bible Belt of Queensland. This. Uh, you know, just up the road in, in, yeah. the, in the Gympie supermarket, a completely different reality in yeah. operation. Well, I, I must say they they weren't Gympie locals. They, no, they'd clearly. driven a, a little way to get there. Yeah. You know, sunny sunny coast crowd. Um, but yeah, interesting um, juxtaposition to go from the, the Gympie mall, shopping mall, and yeah. into the forest uh, to an electronic uh, dance event. And it really is how we live, I guess, on the world now. These different value systems lodged in either large um, groups of people in society, the, those that still sort of theoretically control things, and then these other fringe uh, emergences, expressions of new paradigms and new ways of seeing and thinking, sort of sitting side by side and trying yes. to find a place to to 
to be with each other and to influence each other, I guess. I mean, is that the case? I don't know. Well, you know, it really is a case of people living in different worlds and, yeah. and having a, a different fundamental framework for making sense of how the world works, mm. how reality works. Mm. Uh, you know, in the case of the kind of agricultural, um, the agricultural revolution mindset, you know, which emerged about ten or 12,000 years ago and which is still quite strong in many, many parts mm. of the world, including around Kimpi there, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a long-term outlook on life. It's a communal way of living mm. as opposed to an individual way of living as in the modern scientific industrial way. Um, and uh, the, the mindset is kind of like you follow the rules of life and often those rules of life do come from a religion, mm. you know, with, with the, the Ten Commandments, uh, for example. Mm. And um, this emerged at a time when humanity first learnt how to crop on a large scale so it allowed us to gather together in big groups and you can't live sort of wild and loose uh, once you start to build a town or a city you've got to have some rules to make sure that you know everybody drives on one side of the road and not both sides of the road for example except at the bachelor and spinster's balls out in the bush there they can do well, yeah that's that's a me. that's a kind of a little so regressive let, thing yes. i think oh, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah yeah let, this, and, let some steam off them. and it's important to remember that these value systems are nested inside each other so you yes. know where you've got a prevalence of, of this sort of agricultural mindset uh, the authoritarian mindset you don't it's not the only value system that's present you've also got nested inside that you've got the sort of as you just alluded to the sort of teenage wild and loose third layer and then the tribal second layer underneath it and so so it's a it's a composite it must be things. very must be very interesting now given this agricultural slash religious base arguably and of course there's more to that that's being somewhat simplistic but given the, the nature of agricultural endeavor in Australia now I mean we've been a very successful agricultural country and still still are to a degree in certain areas but much of that agricultural base is collapsing uh, along with that rural towns rural families um, lots of you know unfortunately uh, a high degree of um, suicides in in that those communities in small towns small yes. farming towns in yeah Australia. you know I because it's such a rigid mindset um, compared to the the modern mindset, even the scientific industrial mindset is, is much more flexible because it looks for options yeah. and it doesn't tie itself down to one way of living. But the the fourth layer, the previous layer, the authoritarian or, or ag agricultural mm. era um, mindset uh, has this rigid rule set to follow. Mm. Um, and we're seeing more of this in the public eye at the moment because of the regressive search that's going on because we're in transition between two sets of values. Mm. It's, an, it's natural for us to look backwards and say, okay, things aren't working so well at the moment. Maybe if we remember how we used to live years mm. ago and we go back to those values, everything will be fine. Keep the family and, farm, and, encourage your kids to stay with the farm exactly, and they're not, and that puts you know, a lot of stress on people, of course. And, and we hear this from politicians all the time, back to basic values, back, back to, basic to family values. values. Let's make whatever country great again. Um, it's it's a common thing, particularly during times of change, mm. and so we're we're seeing a, a regression back to these older value sets at the moment, in in search for something that works better than what we have, because there's a general recognition that the way things are running at the moment, you know, it doesn't work so well. Our systems are failing to cope, largely because of the complexity of a, a connected world. A highly interconnected world, and I imagine it must be very difficult for some people on, on at that stage of growth and still in that agricultural mindset. Farming families in Australia, a good example that we we're talking about, have been there for generations. In many cases, they're yeah. seeing their kids leave, often not staying with the farm. So there's that that pressure there, but also that the perceived lack of support by institutions and governments as has has been provided in the past. Yeah. Mainly oh, look, for purely financial reasons, because it's not yeah. a very good investment anymore. No, no, it's it's complex as, as mm. always. Uh, life is complex, 
But um, the communally oriented ways of living, so you know, traditional tribal and then the, the agricultural mm. and then the emerging paradigm, the, the network-centric humanistic paradigm, yeah. all communal ways of living, and they tend to have longer term out, longer outlooks in, in terms of their their consideration of time. Mm. You know, they they think in longer time frames. Mm. Um, I mean, you look at the indigenous people, and they have stories going back tens of thousands yes. of years. You know, some of which have been validated by science. Yep. You know, geological events that have yeah. been told over and over again for tens of thousands Absolutely. of years. Stories. Um, and then in the agricultural world, it's the same. You know, it's a long term outlook. You know, you think in terms of seasons and years and, and that kind of thing. And to come from a family tradition where, you know, going back generations, the family has worked this patch of land and then all of a sudden the climate's changing or the economic situation is changing and it's not as viable as it used to be and uh, you're faced with making a radical change and it's a big, big step to break that long chain of, of activity, you know, within a family lineage. Yes. Uh, and very yes. stressful for people who are faced with, with having to do that. but. Uh, there are lots of factors, of course, not just uh, the fact that the climate is changing, but also economic factors, you know, the, the sort of um, domination of the supermarket world by a couple of big companies, you know, who put pressure to get the prices down yeah. and screw the farmers, really, uh, to trying to, to get their supplies cheaper and cheaper. And you can really, I guess what I'm alluding to here, exactly what you're saying is, is for people who are very lodged in that particular frame, very difficult to understand these changes coming down the line. Very, very hard, I imagine, to make sense of them. And absolutely, even and more pressure applied to them when they come to. We've always been supported this way. We're, we're the, you know, the, the primary industry in the country, and that's so on. right. So, and very challenging to their sense of self. You yes, know, if, you, if exactly. you're a, a, a child who's inherited the farm. Um, you know, and you know that your father worked it successfully and your grandfather and mm. his father worked it successfully and all of a sudden you look like you can't, you know, then you really start to question yourself and say, what's wrong with me? You know, that people have been able to make this work for for a long time mm. and, and now it doesn't look like it's going to work for me. So, yeah, lots of pressure and I guess this is why, you know, we, we see uh, suicide and those sorts mm. of things, yeah. And I guess a change in agriculture, because there is significant change in agricultural practices in some pockets in Australia. There's a, a lot of advancement in terms of uh, reconstituting the way that we uh, care for and, and have a guardianship over the land and how we uh, how we use land, how we make it our friends, so to speak, yeah. including some uh, ancient indigenous agricultural practices which have been rediscovered in books like um, Dark Emu yeah. and others recently. So some of those practices coming into play, but to, to let go of the old practices again same thing and to adopt new practices which on the face of it for some of these people i imagine are, are, are you know a bit weird a bit too alternative a bit too progressive something you know yeah. where's this idea of defeating the landscape and defeating the weather <laughs> and defeating you know this sort of the, the australia was kind of arguably built on in, in its uh, agricultural yeah, yeah you just reminded me too. I, I connected with uh, some folks from the permaculture movement up at this music I, event yes. that I went to on the weekend uh, who were connected with the Grounded Festival. And uh, I've had a little bit to do with the permaculture movement. In fact, years ago, uh, I had a little plot of land outside Mackay when I was working up there. And uh, my wife and I started a permaculture garden, yeah. which we, awesome. we did for a while. Yeah, yeah which was, was very cool. And Swales? Uh, you had swales? Did I, you? I'm not sure about the swales, but uh, <laughs> maybe it was out of season. I don't know. Maybe. Yes, maybe a little bit too far, far off the coast for the swales. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't hear anything anyway. Um, but... Uh, 
yeah, interesting to connect with those guys. And and from what I know, I don't know a lot about the permaculture movement, but it but it's a you know quite an extraordinary movement because it's not mm. just about planting plants. Of course, it's, no. it's a whole social model exactly. that extends far beyond the farming thing. And uh, mm. I think there's a lot of lot of useful information mm. there for the future. Very good. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Get tuned to Bay FM Future Sense with uh, Steve McDonald, Nick Jeans here, uh, uh, through to eleven o'clock this morning. Now, this is the first time you've, uh, you've uh, we've been talking about you being up in Gympie, and we've been talking about the value gaps of some of the. Well, it wasn't actually Gympie; it was outside. Well, Gympie, I, but I passed through. Gympie, yes, yes, nothing wrong with Gympie. Good yes. place. Um, there's a good cafe there actually somewhere. I can't remember. I went to once upon a time. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore. But first time you've come into town this morning. And oh, look! Through, I, through the roundabout. I know. I was surprised by a giant new erection. Oh, excuse. <laughs> Somebody has erected what? a piece of art. Yes, I know. It's it's caused an, an absolute social media furor. It's amazing. Yes, really. yes, yes. It, yeah. You know, I used to live in Melbourne years ago, and, and uh, it reminded me of Jeff Kennett. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. Jeff Jeff Kennett was uh, <laughs> famous for erecting a few pieces of art around Melbourne, and there's, one of them is this giant yellow bar mm. which hangs yeah. over the freeway as you drive into the city there. If, if you've been to Melbourne, I'm sure you've seen it. But it did become... If you'd only seen Steve's, uh, <laughs> Steve's fist out there <laughs> clenched in his arm outright. Sim- and simulating the bar. Simulating the bar uh, of yes. the... Uh, um, and it became <sighs> known locally, of course, as Jeff's Erection. Yeah, Jeff's yes. Erection. Yes. Yeah, the Kenneth Erection. Yeah. Yeah, well, it also looks a bit like a rocket made of tinsel, as you said it earlier does. today. It does. It could be a rocket made of tinsel. Yeah, it yeah. has birds. But apparently, look, I mean, my initial reaction was like everybody else is like, oh, my God, you know. But it's interesting how we sort of jump to, to the phallic interpretation. I'm not saying that's wrong because it's clear. What phallic interpretation? I don't know what you're talking about. You said that there was a giant erection. Well, it was. Um, Someone erected it. <laughs> I built it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, but I think that there's a bit of pause that's required because apparently it's not finished yet. And uh, there are, it is all made of these steel birds. And if you look at it closely as you drive past, you know, the steel birds are kind of, it's kind of a nice idea. I kind of like that idea. It's just unfortunate that it's sort of emanating from this, uh, supposedly this lighthouse structure that's coming out. So perhaps we should wait just a little bit until it's complete. That's true. It's not finished yet. We, we should give them the benefit of the doubt we should. and see what it looks like when it's done. But I think, uh, you know, the council, because there is a public art panel that's responsible for deciding on this $52,000 piece of art. Um, and I guess those couple of councillors and the others on that public art panel, whoever they are, are probably going to be going, oh, my goodness. Because I, I must say that you would have to you, you would have to ask the question, and I'm not overly criticising because I don't know yet for myself, but you'd have to ask the question, who made that decision and how you didn't see what this might have looked like. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's such a difficult thing, though, isn't it? Because the Seriously. beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as they say. I know nothing about art, but I know what I like, as they say, and I, yeah. I basically agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you can text in, by the way, folks. You probably know that already. Uh, we've had a couple of texts today about a couple of other things, but zero four three seven three four triple one nine zero four three seven three four one 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 nine, and make any comments at all, and. All the stuff about the erect uh, art piece out there, we probably heard it all, even though we're continuing on that vein a little bit. But let's just take a moment to see, and, and I do have a feeling for the artist, because no doubt the artist had a, a vision and a genuine artistic vision of some sort, and it's been agreed to, it's been paid for, and here we are. So we're going to have to somehow make the best of it, I guess. It's not going to suddenly change overnight, or some people are saying just get rid of it. That's not going to happen. Let's talk about some more serious things, however, um, in terms of what's going on in the world 
generally speaking. We've been mm-hmm. talking a little bit today about um, the, the values gap in the world and its various manifestations. Yes, as we progress into this paradigm shift, which is already underway at a global scale, we're going to uh, become aware of this contrasting uh, value set between the emerging paradigm and the the existing dominant paradigm, the modern scientific industrial era that we've we've grown up under. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what are, what we are noticing now is that many of the systems uh, and and concepts that have come out of that modern scientific industrial way of thinking aren't working so well anymore. Mm. Uh, and you know, simple things like the the decision making process, which superseded the old sort of agricultural authoritarian decision-making process which was really to check the rules of life you know whatever rules that you mm. live by and mm. someone else's rules not yours mm. they, they were given to you by a higher authority <laughs> and see if you know the challenge that you face with can be resolved by sticking to those rules somehow yeah. you know uh, and then of course the modern scientific industrial era broke us out of that because it it got too complex to follow a rigid rule set, so we had to find a new way. And the new way that we found with the, the scientific and, and industrial revolutions was to look at options mm. and figure out which one of those options was going to fit our particular circumstances best mm. and then choose the best option and make a plan and, and proceed that way. But now, of course, we've got too many options. We've got access to so much information that you just can't process all the options anymore. Mm. You know, you Google something on Google and you get millions of results and how do you figure out which is the best result there so we have to move to some other way and the emerging paradigm is guiding us to move to a form of consultation within our network so we're moving to a very networks centric way of living and in fact it's already here in many places of the world you know it's it's uh, just not the dominant global paradigm yet but we reach out to our peer group within our network and we say what do you think about this Mm. you know what do you think about this erection does it look good uh, those sorts of things if, you, if you're talking about art of course um, and that's how we come up with you know what's best for us and our, mm. our extended network um, and of course the, the systems that we have in place at the moment socially like our political systems our economic systems etc were pretty much all designed under the previous paradigm and so they're designed for a world that existed before the internet was even invented you know, before we got flooded with all this information and before we we had such challenges trying to figure out what is best, what is, what is the, the most appropriate way for us to live in such a complex world where we're overloaded with information. And uh, the next step forward for, for most Western societies is to start looking at this value of operating within a connected network and, you know, drawing in opinions, perspectives from all the different angles that uh, can be found within our extended peer mm. network. Mm. I'm thinking, uh, as you're speaking, of um, we've talked a bit about this off air uh, um, of our education systems. One of those systems that, of course, was created and built and sustained in the previous paradigm. Um, even you know the the education system even extends back, back further, further. Yes, you know, to say. the to the authoritarian agricultural paradigm. Indeed. Uh, because so much of our education system has been shaped by the churches yep. and the church is thinking according to that uh, previous old paradigm, the rigid rule set paradigm. Which is why we've still got the debate, of course, about religious freedom, which is yet to be resolved uh, from the Morrison government and how that's going to pan out in terms of uh, uh, 
um, our education system and the freedom to uh, to worship as you as you wish and to have rules and regulations based on your on your religion still having some impact uh, influence within the education system yeah. of some schools yeah and I think this is why we're seeing the education system appearing to be under such pressure mm. uh, at this time because it's it's actually not even an entirely modern paradigm you know it's a it's in a previous sort of agricultural authoritarian paradigm that's had a whole lot of modern stuff kind of tacked onto it. So this is why it's interesting. It was two things we heard in the news before, and you'd be aware that in New South Wales, uh, the uh, the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, has announced that from uh, the beginning of school year next year, uh, mobile phones will be banned in primary school classrooms, not in uh, upper school, not in high school classrooms, but in primary school classrooms, which on the face of it to me sounds like a pretty good idea because clearly it's a distraction. And But it, it's like the horse has already bolted, surely, because as you said, the education system is designed from the past. We've got kids in there who have grown up with a mobile phone in their pocket, maybe from the age of three or yeah. four or five or whatever yeah. years. They're used to this engagement with uh, the entire world. With the entire world. And so I don't know how that's going to pan out in terms of no, first No, well, you, you know, it's as you say, there there's there's some advantage to uh, removing a distraction from the classroom. Yeah. But you're asking a kid who's grown up with a device who has access to the entire world and all the knowledge of humanity that's you know ever been documented is right there on the device, and you're asking them to put that away and pay attention to uh, a much narrower. Um, yeah. source of enter- hopefully entertainment uh, you know in the, in the mm. classroom and it's challenging and I hope that I, I can understand the logic of taking away the distraction but I hope that uh, mm. it's not an anti-device <laughs> attitude altogether that's going to you know remove screen access entirely from the yeah. classroom because we live in a world of screens well the same in the same token and not with the same announcement but federal education minister Dan Tien has flagged a revamp of the national curriculum saying we need to get back to basics like reading, writing, and maths before worrying about soft skills like teamwork and critical thinking. I've been getting this image of you, you know, that, that old that old painting of the farmer with the pitchfork and his wife who look like the Amish folks. Um, it just, I keep getting that in my head. It's but, like getting you know, back, back to the hand implements and shun all new technology. Luddites would again train some Luddites, some neo Luddites to the to the fore. But it's it's amazing because how can you take a more simplified approach to an increasingly complicated, or complex um, system that we're living in, which the children Once again, are growing you know, up in? This, this is the regressive search dynamic. So it's a normal human response to the challenge of change and being overwhelmed is to think back to a time when life was simpler, things worked okay, and go to to uh, living by those old values once again. And of course. The reason that we've evolved to do this—I mean, this is this is in our in our DNA. It's an instinct that you know we don't think about doing it; we just naturally do it. We, we've developed that way because it actually accelerates change. You know, by going back to an older set of values, which are even simpler than the ones that we're living by. Uh, you know, up until the time that we get challenged, uh, we actually make we actually move back to a, a set of values which are even less capable of allowing us to cope with mm. complexity, mm. and so it creates. Uh, increased evolutionary tension it's like drawing back the elastic band on the slingshot you're Mm. creating tension and sooner or later that tension gets so much it has to release and uh, I'm thinking about artwork again now Uh, and then you you know you get get thrust forward (laughs) into the future Um, and so it it has actually an evolutionary dynamic that Mm. has developed to accelerate change when we face challenge um, the, the interesting thing about it, though, is that once you understand that dynamic, once you, you're not sort of unconsciously 
buffeted around by it. But once you actually understand the dynamic and how it works, you can make conscious choices to actually bypass the tension. You know, if, if you recognize that as soon as some tension appears, that it means something needs to change and you understand the change process, then instead of looking backwards to, you know, let's get back to, to old values and, and make America great again, you can actually think forward instead of backwards. And you can, you can literally bypass the tension if you're on top of it and you understand what's going on. But most people don't. Yeah. And our government certainly doesn't at the moment. Well, it's interesting with education, of course, because Australia was for a long time way up the top of uh, the education uh, of our young in regards to other countries in the world, but have slipped significantly back for over two decades, uh, falling behind Japan, Canada, and New Zealand, other comparable countries. So I wonder what's wrong there, what's, what's not being met in this country uh, with regards to education now. You know, I, I think it's much wider than education because you can look at a lot of different uh, disciplines and see Australia has fall, fallen behind. You know, I mean, one the one that's most obvious to me because of my involvement with uh, psychedelic research in Australia is is just embracing these yep. new medicines. You know, we yep. we have such a conservative attitude here that we, after Prism, our local research organisation was created back in 2011, we knocked on doors for for a full eight years, mm. trying to find an institution or a hospital that was prepared to be open minded and look at the possibility that these things are actually amazingly capable medicines. And for eight years, all we got was no, sorry, not today. Mm. Well, uh, what were they afraid of? Because as we know, we talk about this on the show in America, which is um, pretty regressive in other ways uh, the uh, research into particularly into MDA, MDMA for PTSD under supervision under um, proper um, uh, situ- therapeutic situations is now at uh, stage three with the Federal Drug Administration the FDA would likely to come online and actually be legal for these uses within a couple of years now and yet we are yeah. that far behind yeah so they just what's missing uh, they're what, just what are they afraid of phase three um, Look, I think because America has such a large population, you know, you get you get the full spectrum of values really anywhere. But and the larger the population population is, you know, the the more numbers you have in the smaller percentages of, of the population. And I guess it be, I'm guessing I don't really know, mm. but uh, perhaps because of that factor that, it, that there's a large population, uh, America, you know, it's a it's a well resourced country. You've got money, uh, and uh, and so. They've been able to get enough momentum there to to mm. do some world leading change, which is wonderful. Uh, and we just haven't got the numbers here or the financial support. We haven't had it up until now, anyway, mm. um, to do the same. However, I, I must say that late last year, late 2017, uh, there was a, a tipping point, and uh, our research organisation Prism suddenly found ourselves uh, being offered funding where before it had been a very sort of dry argument and and also we had a couple of opportunities crop up with institutions that mean that we are quite likely to start our first psychedelic Mm. study here in Australia in 2019 which is quite exciting. And you know Australia's had a a great reputation in terms of R&D scientifically across the board particularly in terms of medical research for a long time we seem to still maintain that fairly well but have slipped somewhat in the last yeah decade or so, uh, sure. you know there are isolated examples yeah. where we we are world leaders in yes. some senses i think you know i think uh we invented wi-fi here in australia if we I did remember right. we did invite invent wi-fi you know things like mm-hmm. that so we we, we, do, we can be blamed we, yeah yeah you know we do have an impact but uh that conservative uh, element of society has been quite strong over recent decades um, and you know we were talking about the sort of authoritarian agricultural mindset and that particular value set it's still quite prevalent 
uh, and also in the US, you know, you go to the US and you'll see a lot of people flying national flags in their front yards and those sorts of things, which is all representative of that that same layer four mindset. Mm. You know, it, it also engages in nationalism. Mm. It's a very ethnocentric way of thinking. It's mm. like people like me, you know, people who identify with the same causes that I identify with, whether it be nationalism or religion or, or whatever. So, and it's still pretty strong here in Australia too. You know, there's still a good chunk of society that lives life according to those values. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how would you place what's happening in France with the yellow shirts? I mean, you, you nicely put it earlier off here. It's like the canary in the coal mine, the yellow canary in the coal mine. Yes. Um, that's an interesting, uh, because France seems to have this ability, the French, to when they when they revolt, when the peasants are revolting, yes. uh, they seem to do it very well overall. And it seems to uh, have a long-term actual change effect. They, they do. Yeah, they've mm. got a history of it, haven't they? They do. Um, and I, I do think it's a canary in the coal mine. I mean, it's it's a response to this evolutionary tension that has resulted from the regressive search back to old values, you know, and we've seen uh, a bit of right-wing influence in France there, yes, uh, and, and in a number of European countries, mm. and that's increased the evolutionary tension. And sooner or later, the tension on that elastic band has to reach a tipping point. And what we we've just seen in France is a little tipping point where there's been enough tension created that people have said, "No, this is enough." Mm. Um, and if they don't have avenues of uh, available to them to address yes. you know, through in a civilized kind of a way, then guess what? Mm-hmm. It becomes uncivilized, yep. and people start to uh, protest and, and burn speed cameras and those sorts of things as yes. they've been doing. Ninety-five percent of speed cameras in central France region were destroyed as part of the yellow vest protest. In fact, yeah. So you know, this is this is the canary in the coal mine. It's an opportunity to see, okay, where is the tipping point here? You know, how much tension can society tolerate, and uh, and hopefully, what that then does when when these little eruptions happen, uh, you know, hopefully, government pays attention. And I think France is doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Macron is it has come out yes. and actually said, okay, we hear you. We're going to change this and this and this. Well, he's trying to change some things. I don't think it's enough, of course. But it's yeah. what's interesting to me here is. The, the underclass in countries like France seems to be much quicker to revolt in this way, to actually get aggressive yeah. out of frustration than the underclass in most of our Western societies, which uh, you know don't seem to have the same response. Not, um, not that I'm supporting um, any sort of violent action, but that's how frustrated people actually are now. Yeah, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're looking at here is a complex system, a complex adaptive system, which is society and, and uh, driven by human nature. And uh, it's kind of like we're, we're going through a phase transition is, is what's happening, shifting from one value set to the next value set. And you could liken it to boiling a pot of water on the stove. Yeah. And eventually the water turns into gas, which is a phase transition. And you can pick up the early warning signs that you know things are changing. But when you start to see the first bubbles appearing in the bottom of the pot, and this is like that. It's like the first bubbles appearing, and th- you know this. This is about to boil over, mm. and we've just seen a, a, an occasion in France where it has boiled over. And if if we're aware of these change dynamics and how complex systems work, we can also look at our own society here in Australia and say, okay, these are the first bubbles, folks. We're starting to see bubbles here, and if we don't act on this and change something, mm. then it, it's going to actually boil over. And let's hope that we don't see the same kind of boil over occur here in Australia. I mean, we, we do see it, you know, in small on a small scale, like the. You know the the social violence that we've seen in Melbourne yep. over the last couple of years. Yep. Um, these are these are all little tipping points, and we need to take note of them. And we yeah. and particularly governments and those who who have the power to influence society need to take note and just understand that it means something has to change. Beautiful. Mm-hmm.
For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. You are tuned to Bay FM to Future Sense here with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald through till 11 o'clock. It's 10.06. Uh, a few of your texts, a couple of texts on the um, the silver bullet out there on the, um, the roundabout. Um, I like this one. Totally non-organic totem for arts and industry slash proposed massive suburban overdevelopment. At least cover it in Christmas lights and children's stuffed native animal toys like koalas, wallabies and lots more to, quote, imagine. And thanks to uh, John, a local sculptor and environmental artist in the celebration of life. And someone else has written uh, a bit more hard to understand this. Relativism pretends that anybody or anything is as relevant as the next. This is logic devoid of meaning. Art is called art because it rings with truth, because it's beautiful promotes a healthy perspective, inspires happiness, and emits light. Of course, many people would disagree with that. Art can be also an expression of the darkness, so I'm not sure if we agree with that, but you might. Um, the steel pillar out there does not qualify to be called art. It is just another try-hard. Whoever approved it should lose their job. Please name the members of that committee that are forcing their bent aesthetics on everyone. I say we put it in their backyards. Strong words. I did mention the council, the um, the public, the forum called the Public Art Forum. There's a couple of council members on that. You can check out who they are. It's pretty pretty uh, clear. It's a councillor, NGO, and councillor Hackett, I do believe. But there will be other members on that panel as well. And so yeah, the the, the discussion goes on. And the uh, other email too. Thanks about um, EMF and Wi-Fi, saying that it is a major danger, particularly for younger people. And this writer claims that this is the reason why phones have been prohibited in schools in Europe. We're not sure about that exactly, but perhaps that's true. So thanks for your text. You can text in, as I said, at 0437411119. Hit a bad time, comes up on our screen. Um, let's move to something else. Amazing uh, discoveries going on. A global team of scientists uh, have found an ecosystem below the Earth that is twice the size of the world's oceans. Wow. The Earth is far more alive than previously thought, they say, according to deep life studies that reveal a rich ecosystem beneath our feet that is almost twice the size of all the world's oceans. Despite extreme heat, no light, minuscule nutrition and intense pressure, scientists estimate this subterranean biosphere is teeming with between 15 and 23 billion tonnes of microorganisms, hundreds of times the combined weight of every human being on the planet. And the researchers are, I like this, the researchers are from the Deep Carbon Observatory. And they say the diversity of underworld species bears comparison to the Amazon or the Galapagos Islands. But unlike those places, the environment is still largely pristine because people have yet to probe most of the subsurface. And in fact, one organism found 2.5 kilometres below the surface has been buried for millions of years and may not rely at all on energy from the sun. Instead, the methanogen, has found a way to create methane in this low energy environment, which it may not use to reproduce or divide, but to replace or repair broken parts. All sorts of interesting bits to this. Isn't it fascinating? And mm. I always, uh, you know, I, I love to look at these emerging pieces of knowledge and just note how they correlate with what's happening in human society. Yeah. You know, like this sentence here. This sentence here could be a description of, of you know, human life on planet Earth. 
uh, despite extreme heat, no light, minuscule nutrition, and intense pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like life on half of the life earth, at France, least. Life in France, yeah, yeah, yeah. life in parts of Australia now, really. I, I know, I know. Mm. Isn't it amazing? But um, it's, it's wonderful to, uh, to read this kind of stuff where we're probing deeper, looking for what's beneath the surface mm. and discovering life, mm. you know, amazing complexity. Because, of course, the Gaia hypothesis, which was made famous by James Lovelock, who quoted that notion of Gaia. That uh, Gaia, yeah. That Gaia, <laughs> that lovely Gaia, James Lovelock, uh, which, is, which has received a lot of criticism over the years, but as time has gone on and science has progressed, it seems like issues like this, of this living uh, entity uh, below, way below the surface of the Earth, would indicate that, of course, life on this planet is a life. Uh, it is a being of some sort it's a, or other. a lot of consciousness. A lot of damn consciousness locked up in there. Yeah, More exactly. than we know, actually. Mm. Yeah. And I think, uh, didn't Lovelock uh, sort of update his Gaia theory in a, in a later book, I think you were saying this morning, to, to really you know describe a, an amazingly complex and adaptive system? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, it's different. That's right. Um, I mean, he formulated the original hypothesis and co-developed it with microbiologist Lynn Margulis in the 1970s. He named the idea, of course, after Gaia, the primordial goddess who personified the Earth in Greek mythology. Um, in 20, 2006, the Geological Society of London awarded Lovelock the Wollaston Medal in part, in part for his work on the Gaia hypothesis. So I guess it was taken into... Into uh, into serious scientific consideration at that point. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, it was initially criticised for being teleological and against the principles of natural selection, but later refinements aligned the Gaia hypothesis with ideas from fields such as earth system science, uh, biogeochemistry, and systems ecology. So, looking at, I guess, all of that is just indications of the growing uh, focus on on living systems theories of various types and approaches, complex uh, adaptive systems. Yeah, and certainly this is a, a, mm. an emerging area of knowledge is uh, complex adaptive systems. And it's really, you know, it, it starts to probe into the second tier of human values, human consciousness that Claire Graves described, where um, yeah, even the emerging paradigm, uh, you know, that's, that's soon to be the dominant global paradigm, tends to operate on a fairly level playing field and doesn't sort of probe so deep uh, as, as this, you know, mm. scientific... Uh, Yes. Ex, uh, in, interpretation presents, but so that that you know probing into the depth and looking at the complexity and the adaptive nature of the consciousness mm. is really a second tier thing. Mm. So it's you know it's quite leading edge in terms of human thinking. Mm. It leaves us in an interesting position, doesn't it? Because while we in the final stages, when we're talking about the green stage, stage six, or layer six of Graves's work yeah. here, beyond five, which has been dominant for the last several hundred years on the planet since the Industrial Revolution, roughly. Uh, in that stage, in stage six, we, we like the idea of these sort of new systems science uh, models, but we're still yet to really, I think, and what's kind of my paraphrasing what you're saying, yet to be able to grasp them in their true application and meaning in terms of second-tier consciousness. There seems to be, and I'm not articulating this very well, but you know what I'm saying, the yeah. sort of gap between what we kind of want to be true or want to take notice of and what we actually can and what actually is relevant and true and applicable to yes. change. Yeah, you know, the, the layer six, the emerging paradigm, is a more expansive perspective of the world but it's, it's slightly skewed towards the human experience and human values and human emotions and, and morality again. and those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, so it, it, it's not 
quite as holistic uh, as the, mm. the second tier value sets become. Mm. Yeah, but I think one of the interesting things about this article and this concept is that it's it's providing more scientific evidence, good, you know, solid scientific evidence that we are living on a planet that is very, very much alive, in fact, more alive than we know, uh, and consequently, you know, has a, a level of consciousness and a, and a capacity to adapt to its environment, which is, um, it, it kind of... It adds a new layer to the whole climate change anthropocentric uh, influence argument that yeah. you know this is not just a dumb rock that we're sitting on here and messing up. It's actually a living being that is adaptive. Just a third rock from the sun. That's yeah. all we are, mate. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a very good point, and I, I think that this discovery of this uh, massive organism below the surface of the Earth, this ecosystem in itself. Um, you know, uh, something this size, which is larger than the biomass of all humanity on the planet and thus bigger than, you know, I guess most, uh, certainly all uh, expressions of life that are singular. Uh, you think of the mycelium, the, the, the great network, network of, of uh, mushrooms and like, which is also a huge network. But seeing, having these gigantic networks and, and beginning to understand or see them surely must influence the fact that yeah, they too have an influence on the, on the biota, if that's the right word, or the, on the biomass of the biology of the whole planet of the, of, and thus of the weather systems yes. and temperature and yeah, everything. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, that is acknowledged in a lot of the climate science. They talk about the methane emissions and like mm-hmm. that thing. Methane, yeah. Uh, to some extent, anyway. Mm. But um, very, yeah, it's very, very interesting to see this uh, kind of stuff emerging. And meanwhile, particles have been flying um, out of uh, Earth's poles, which I don't really quite understand this particular article, but apparently um, particles, cosmic rays, normally that bombard the Earth every day and are measured at observing sites around the world, with the most notable being located in the Earth's south pole. Uh, But actually, um, cosmic particles uh, actually have been moving out of the Earth's poles. We know much about this. How can you... Can you uh, yeah, it's, this came from a, a news article. Uh, I found it on the Resonance Science Foundation uh, website and they've presented the original news article. I'm not sure if they've given a source Nassim, for it. Uh, Nassim actually, Nassim. I think it was <clears throat> was first published on space.com, it mm. says. Uh, and mainstream science is you know, scratching its head about this because it doesn't fit with our model of the mm. universe and where these rays should come from. They should come from... Uh, inside our planet according to mainstream science but uh, Haramain's uh, crew have added a, a note here and uh, they're coming from a new scientific perspective of course a more advanced one uh, than, than the mainstream and uh, they say when we see gravity as an emergent property due to the coherent spin dynamics uh, of uh, things like planets you know any, pretty much everything has a spin like even down to the to the small you know quantum particles everything spins and uh, when something spins of course it has what they call centripetal force which is an acceleration towards the center and uh, the the build-up that happens of, of pressure in the center of an object with mass will inevitably cause uh, jets to be extruded from the poles mm. and we see this particularly when we look at uh, black holes out in space they typically have uh, sometimes quite visible jets shooting out of uh, each pole of the black hole uh, and uh, mm. our 
you know, Haramain's theory is that everything essentially has the nature of a black hole in that if you go towards the center, you're going to find a, a basically a, an interdimensional portal to infinity. You're going to disappear. The closer you get to your own center, folks, the more likely you are to disappear That's right. into the black hole and come out who knows where. Exactly. <laughs> so so we should expect really anything like a, a planet that it also has it has the spin, mm. um, you know, and it's it's going to uh, have something, some kind of energy emitting from the poles, and this is what they're starting. To, to find here and uh, as I said before Haramain's is operating from a, a more advanced paradigm in terms of understanding physics and uh, mainstream science has a little bit of catching up to do there mm. it's interesting I, I love this ice cube observatory this is not a not an MC ice cube <laughs> observatory uh, last month made some supporting observations which upon further analysis strongly suggests that those events with this is these emissions of uh, cosmic rays from the poles which upon further analysis strongly suggests that those events may be due to physics beyond the standard model yes mm. I love we'll we, we love that supermodel please <laughs> The supermodel. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about someone in a bikini. We're all about the upgrade. All about the upgrade. Uh, we've got another, talking about upgrades, we've got another message here about the sculpture. I just wish it was made with recycled or more sustainable materials. So inspired by Lismore's recycled Christmas trees over the last few years, this year's is made from secondhand umbrellas, reused screws, and the like. Yeah, thanks, Anthea. I mean, uh, we could have some sort of community involvement here where you could bring in your recycled items and, and add them to the sculpture, perhaps. Perhaps if we could stimulate. Um, cosmic rays being emitted from the top of the sculpture. Well, I think, actually, I think it would look good with a TV antenna on the top. A TV one antenna. One of old-fashioned ones. Or know. it could really get up the nose of lots of people here. We could do a 5G antenna. That would really piss people off could. even more so. That'd be really, do I think the, at the least job. it should have some kind of laser light show added to it, at least. <laughs> this is Byron Bay after all. Absolutely. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Yeah, YouTube of FM on Future Sense here with Nick and Steve. Thanks for your texts. Um, spare us this maths rationalization black hole bullshit of Harriman's and the Cretan Hawking study up on plasma cosmology. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Okay, and the Cretan Hawking, Stephen Hawking. Oh, we, I don't think we quoted Stephen Goodness Hawking me. today. Um, yeah, okay, and stu study up on plasma uh, cosmology. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, we'll appreciate your input. Of course, we're not claiming that we know what's going on. We're just bringing uh, our... We have no idea, actually. We have no idea. Uh, the, the more you know, the, the less you know, that's for sure. The further you get, the older you get, the certainly the less you know. That's what I know for sure. But thanks for your um, for input. I like, the, I like it. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't um, put much stock in uh, Nassim Haramin. That's quite true and others do and I guess we will see as the future unfolds he's an interesting character mm. you know uh, as with most people not everything that he uh, presents you know is, is uh, all that solid I really do admire his in insights into physics and I think he's definitely progressed the world our, our understanding of physics of uh, this reality considerably mm. um, but he, he also does kind of fall into that pre-trans fallacy zone that Ken Wilber talks about as well where there's a little bit of confusion about you know what's actually advanced and emerging compared to old thinking mm. yeah. well, I mean that's probably something we need to explain a little bit to the listener who may sure. not be aware yeah. of what pre-trans meaning pre-trans rational in Claire W. Graves' model that we refer to I, a lot I of I think time. it's a good time to do that actually yeah, yeah so so if we look at the spectrum of human values and this process of developing through them or evolving, if we're talking about at species mm. level and long term, evolving through these value sets, values, layers, 
they can be subdivided into zones. And so the first three layers in Claire Graves' model, which equate to, at a species level, the hunter-gatherer phase, the, the traditional tribal phase, and then the, the sort of egocentric martial warlike phase, they belong to what I call a pre-rational zone mm. because we our, our ultimate compass for living life is our urges and our instincts and our emotions, what we feel in the moment. So behavior in that zone tends to be very much uh, in the moment, very much reacting now to what we feel now and wanting to satisfy our needs straight away. Mm. And we see this, of course, uh, at an individual level in our children as they're growing up. You know, yeah, They right. grow through yes. these layers early on and they just, if they're hungry, they want food now. They're not gonna wait half an hour, you know, they, they just want it now. Um, and then beyond that, and this uh, equates to a transition that happens in the teen to early 20s uh, range mm. for individuals. As the, front, Our, as the frontal lobe develops. As the frontal develops, lobes yeah. uh, complete development, we move mm. into the rational zone where the rational mind dominates. And that, of course, is, is human nature as we know it for most of, most people alive on the planet now, that the rational mind is dominant. You know, we can rationalize our fears away. We can rationalize our needs away. And, you know, we start to see cause and effect. We see the logic. And previously there was no logic because it was all about what I want now because I feel this, you know. Mm. Uh, but now we've got the brain kicking in the rational mind and uh, we, we have uh, logic, which makes us more capable, of course. Yeah, it's been, and, and allows uh, us to um, deal with more complex issues. Great system. amounts of success in, in solving problems up to that point with the logical a absolutely, mind. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. It was the, the logical mind that took us to the moon and back. Yeah. Uh, uh, however, it, that's not the end of the story. There's, there's another zone beyond that mm. rational zone where we're moving once again to something that's not rational. And uh, it's called the transrational yeah. zone. Uh, and remembering too that these these zones, just like the individual layers, they're they're like layers of skin mm. on an onion. They're nested inside yeah. each other. They're not like Russian dolls. Exactly. Yeah. So um, this transition from the rational zone to the transrational zone, uh, it is it, for the for the mainstream, you know, part of society it's in the future it hasn't happened yet but of course there were people who were picked up in Claire Graves' research back in the 1950s who had already made this transition mm. a very small percentage but, mm. that, but they were there and the transrational thinking gives rise to things like transpersonal psychology quantum mechanics those sorts of things mm. um, you know things that have amazing complexity and depth and which really haven't been embraced by main mainstream society yet mm. Uh, you know, when you look at even developmental psychology, you know, it belongs in the transrational zone because it's looking at the layers, it's actually looking at these layers as stages of development. But these things haven't become mainstream yet. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed when I talk to mainstream psychologists and I ask them about developmental psychology models and they scratch their head and they say, oh, yeah, I think they mentioned something about that when I, when I was at uni. <laughs> but it's not something that most people use in their work. And uh, the same applies to quantum mechanics. If you talk to the average scientist and ask them about, okay, how do you factor the observer effect into your work there? They'll scratch their head and say, oh yeah, that'd be uh, quantum mechanics, I guess. You know, I'm sure they mentioned that at university, but these things just haven't come into the mainstream yet mm. because they're beyond mainstream thinking. Mm. Uh, and so in the crossover from the rational zone to the transrational zone, we are moving to something that's not rational. And in between, in the crossover uh, area there, as, as we're learning how to grow out of being dominated by the rational mind and start to tap into this transrational kind of quantum consciousness, as I, as I call it, uh, it's easy to confuse pre-rational 
ways of living with transrational ways of living. Of course, they're both not rational, right? Mm. And for somebody who's in the rational zone, like our caller who just texted in there, he's obviously in the rational zone. When they look at transrational stuff, all they see is pre-rational because they don't know the difference between transrational and pre-rational. They can't figure it out. And that's not a criticism. It's just no, the way it, it is. It's just the way it is. Mm. You know, it's like it's like you know, the difference between a tree and a rock. You know, they, they do different things. They look different. You can't ask... You know, you can't ask a uh, you can ask a dog to kind of run up the road, but you can't ask a tree to run up the road. It's just because that's that's its nature at the in the moment. You can't it's, ask it's a rock to grow me a beautiful ripe papaya. Exactly, it hasn't got that capacity. So these we're talking here about not um, attributes which are which are good or bad or better or worse. Mm. We're just talking about the com- the adaptive nature of human consciousness and how when we're put in a set of life conditions that requires a certain level of adaptation, that's where we end up growing to you know we grow to that level of adaptation and and we don't um evolution is is uh very efficient you know you don't evolve something that's not useful although science sometimes thinks that we've evolved things that aren't useful Mm. it's just simply because they don't understand their usefulness yet so uh, back to the explanation when we're growing through this uh transition zone between the rational and the transrational there's a time of learning where we have to learn how to tap into this direct knowing that comes from the transrational way of being human. And it's I, I liken it to uh, quantum particles, how you can like split a photon and have, you know, half of it here and half of it there. And and one piece will know what the other particle yeah. is doing, whether it's spin changes or whatever. There's a direct knowledge. Even billions of light years apart, theoretically. Yeah, yeah it's beyond, yes. beyond time and space. Be- and it's beyond rational in that sense. Rational to us as we now are. Have yeah, been. yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's I guess you could call it a deep intuition but it's mm. you know it's a very sophisticated kind of intuition um, but uh, until you start to grow into that you, you because you haven't experienced it you can't recognize it and so when you see people speaking from this place of transrational knowledge the only you, you check back through your filing system of everything you have known and experienced in your life and the only place it fits is outside the rational zone mm. which if you haven't grown into transrational is pre-rational so it gets equated with uh infantile thinking Mm. yeah so i mean examples of this because this is it is quite difficult for most people to actually access what you're saying for the very reasons you're explaining uh rightly but if i if i'm having a particularly you know interesting day in somewhere else some uh, some sort of magic has occurred in, in my day and, and i step outside under the uh, under the starry skies and suddenly i see i look up and i see uh, uh, a shooting star go across and i go oh, see and that's that's meaning to me that that means something to do with how my, i've experienced my life today it's a good sign it's an omen i mean is that pre-rational or transrational where well, it can be either yeah, you know you, you can't this is the tricky thing about human consciousness you can't point to something outside of human consciousness and say is that this or that because yes. it's the how we interpret it right and we need to look at these zones or the layers of consciousness as windows that we look mm. through okay and, and and by looking through each different window we get a different perspective on reality mm. and and that allows us to make sense of it in different ways yeah mm. so it's tricky it's very tricky mm. and uh it's it's literally something that you can't fully know unless you directly experience it yeah yeah um so it doesn't matter how much i use my rational mind and talk and try and use words to describe what it is you're never going to get it unless you actually experience it mm, yourself that's right and that's what's one of the difficult things about talking about it and of course there are um there are 
points in our experience where I guess we, we get a, a, a feeling or a taste of this, and this is what I'm in underneath things like synchronicity. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, yeah, one thing that one thing that might might be useful. I mean, you know, even if you're living in the rational zone, you know, you can have what they call the peak experience of transrational being, mm. and uh, some people may recognise that from getting into what what they call a flow state. Right, yeah. which can happen in the zone. In, in the zone, as they say, you know, mm-hmm. most commonly discussed in, in sport, professional yep. sport, I guess. Yes. Um, it, that time where your mind stopped thinking about what you were doing and your body was just doing it, and your body was doing it perfectly and in sync with you know the timing and everything was perfect. Uh, and after it happened, you said to yourself, "I don't know how I did that, but I just did it." You know, I wasn't thinking about it. And that's an example of, of moving into this sophisticated sort of transrational way of being where you're tapping into a higher rhythm, you know, a higher flow. And and that's where, I guess, synchronicity, as, as Jung put it, because it was, it's that moment where you, where you touch some greater uh, un- unconscious or subconscious point which may be connected to other people, to other situations, and recognise it as meaningful in some way rather than just a coincidence. Is that an... How, another way you could well, argue it, yeah, it's, again it's, it's tricky it's very subjective it's tricky. again it's not, it's not really about the attribution of meaning uh, right, it's you know, not we're, about we're, the attribution we're, of meaning we're talking about a pure state of being and I guess here. that's what I was uh, yeah because yeah. the state of putting a meaning on it is sort of a, a sense of regression back to well, an earlier no, stage no, in it, a sense. it's not a regression it, it's I guess what, what I'm trying to say is here that that um, to tap into where this comes from you've got to go deep deep down into mm. our unconscious uh, and you know there are there are frameworks down there that we can't we're not really aware of there are frameworks which, down there, which actually help us organize our understanding of reality mm. you know and those frameworks shift when we go through a major transition of values mm-hmm. and then what bubbles up to the surface are things like our way of making meaning our way of attribu- attributing meaning to things and that will be different with every layer of consciousness you know the way that we attribute meaning yes. changes also so that still happens, and it happens in a different way at each layer as we as we grow through or adapt through these different layers, or even as we regress back. You know, sometimes uh, our life conditions cause us to regress back. But I, um, when, years ago, when I was living in Melbourne, I got invited to sit on an extreme performance uh, discussion committee at the Victorian Institute of Sport um, by virtue of my work experience as a in the military and, and uh, as a rescue helicopter pilot because yeah. I was working in extreme circumstances. Yes. And um, I can remember one day talking, you know, being asked about my experience and talking to these sort of senior sports coaches about flying the rescue helicopter and hovering while a winching operation was going on uh, with a, you know, a gusty wind blowing and noticing, uh, I just noticed one time that my hand was moving to balance the wind blowing against the helicopter, but I wasn't thinking about it. Like I wasn't becoming aware of the wind and then moving my hand. It was just happening. And it was happening at the instant that a wind gust would hit the helicopter, my hand would move. And it, that was a, a time when I was tapped into a deeper flow state. Mm-hmm. And that information was coming from somewhere else. It wasn't coming through my rational mind. You know? mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing that we can, even if we haven't you know, grown into the transrational layers of consciousness, we can still have peak experiences mm-hmm. of this when we're in uh, in other places. It's very interesting that it, this idea of being in the zone applies so much in, to sport. It's almost like sport is a place where you can practice that, in a sense, by, by, by having the skill level where skill just let you let go of the skill and you're in that moment, yeah. in that zone, and just experiencing that. That's right. And any kind of discipline that teaches mastery, you know, will tell you that yes. you start out 
from a formalist place where you don't know anything and then you, you go, grow into or you, you are educated into a place of structure where you get given a structure to follow, uh, which, which by virtue of being structured has to have an element of rigidity to it. Mm. But then once you reach a point of mastery, you actually be go, you go beyond the form to the formless once more, mm. but it's like a conscious formlessness mm. rather than an unconscious yes oh, that's good i like that yeah wonderful uh if you've got all that folks you're a better man than me no i got it i think i got it i don't know if i got it doesn't matter i'll get it don't think about it I get, thank you i'll do that you're tuned to future sense with nick jeans and steve mcdonald engage emerge activate and spiral up yes you are last few minutes Ten forty-five here on both him Pregnancy, birth, and beyond coming up next. Uh, a couple of texts here. Um, yes, this, is, I like, this is an interesting example of the pre-rational, trans-rational, I guess, or is it? Uh, I had the same experience when learning to touch type using a typing game. It was like magic seeing my response occurring before I consciously recognized what I had to type. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it, what's happening there is you're bypassing the rational mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Dudley. Very good. Um, the Integrity Commission has been announced by uh, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Um, many people, senior lawyers, fiercely criticising it as having no teeth and being a disaster. And uh, some, I think, on the Labor side basically saying it's uh, it's worse than having no commission at all. And is it trying to protect uh, the current government itself by its lack Surely of teeth? Surely not. Surely not, Nick. <laughs> hmm. What do we think about this in terms of values in terms of evolution yeah well we've got this values gap you see we've got an old system to start with an old political system that was designed before the internet existed from this modern scientific industrial mindset in fact you know it even almost stretches back to the old uh, agricultural paradigm the early early stages of yeah. our parliamentary origins i think mm. um and we're living in a world where that kind of thinking just cannot manage the complexity anymore and in fact as the world is becoming more complex, what we're finding is that our decision-making processes and our thinking that used to work really, really well, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, actually not only doesn't work well, but it creates more problems than it yes. solves. and that's the key, really, isn't it? It, it is the yep. key, and this is the this is the you know building of evolutionary tension. And we we sooner or later we reach a point, a trigger point, or a tipping point where we realise that what we're doing isn't working, mm. and we go through this transformation of having to to grow into something more complex and more capable. And so what we're seeing here is um, Morrison operating in a very um, mainstream old paradigm way uh, and you know the uh, according to the old modern paradigm information was power and so information was controlled very carefully and typically in an organization you would have a, a curtain that hung in front of the organization and the public would see your curtain which was your public image and that's what they would you know understand about your organization and, and behind the curtain um, you would have the Wizard of Oz you know doing, doing what he does uh, and uh, what's happened is the internet has basically stripped away that curtain and we see into the back end now you know so the wizard's still there like turning the handles and blowing thinking, the smoke out thinking that he's not being seen thinking half he's the not time. being seen but of course we can all see exactly what he's doing and and we all you know he, he's just uh, ignorant to the fact that 
uh, people can see through what he's doing. So here he's just going through a, a massive process of ass covering for, you know, the existing government. I mean, they're, they're, they're just in a, a massive self-protection mode at the moment and all the decisions that they're making are all about basically their internal party politics. You know, they're, they're not only worried about the, the general public re-electing them, they're worried about uh, coherence and harmony within their party, which they don't have. And so all of their attention is, is getting directed there and all of these national issues which have implications globally sometimes, like that decision on the the uh, encryption bill the other day, you know, which is, has a global impact, not just an Australian impact, yeah. uh, are being given to us by this crowd who are basically looking at their belly buttons, wondering about how they're going to survive the next election mm. and not not even thinking, you know, it's not, they, they don't have the capacity at the moment because all their, most of their capacity is taken up by their, their own self-interest to understand the wider implications of their decision-making process. But in this case, you know, they're, they're clearly engineering this Integrity Commission to make sure that it can have absolutely minimal effect on the way that they do business. Yes, well, of course they, they, they were dr- they were drawn kicking and screaming to the, the the Banking Royal Commission, which was while clearly revealed much and was pretty successful. We'll see what the uh, recommendations coming down in February are well, about. It was, it was horrifying, actually. It was horrifying, what, but what it was revealed. still quite short. Um, 69 days, I think, altogether. I think only a, a handful of cases out of 10,000 yeah. personal cases were heard. Yeah. And it would seem that, again, with this, even more so with this, that this Integrity Commission has been set up to minimise the ability of it to actually go deep yeah. into the into the issues. Yeah. And I note that the former Commissioner of the New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption, the ICAC, David Ipp, uh, said that I think uh, what's been created is a, the kind of Integrity Commission you'd want to have when you didn't want to have one. Yeah. Pretty much now, Morrison and and Co have sort of slammed that and said, well, the ICAC was like a, a kangaroo court, a lesson in what not to do, but that would seem very strange, especially considering how many um, New South Wales Labor members were done over by the ICAC, and, yeah. and justifiably so. Yeah. But they're clearly afraid of something. I think the coalition and uh, going I'm, to jail. I think. Oh, could, <laughs> <laughs> yes, jail time <laughs> could be that. Like those New South Wales politicians. <laughs> oh dear. I mean, uh, in terms of this kind of integrity in the public space, in public sphere, there's there ain't much probably, and most people now know this. I think I've referred this to you before. I've said to you, there's a a new Russell Brand uh, movie on Netflix called Russell Brand Rebirth. There's a point in it where he says, "Oh yes, you know, talking about the British elections, uh, wouldn't it be great if if things were different? Namely, that when a a new." Prime Minister is elected or a Prime Minister is re-elected and comes out the front of Downing Street and says, you know, well, we're going to look after all of you, all the people, we're going to do all the right things that have done all this rubbish, that we all know it's rubbish. Everybody listens and goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And instead of the refreshing approach where a new leader comes out and says, actually, we're going to continue doing what we're doing, we're going to continue ripping you off, bullshitting to you, lying behind your back, manipulating, taking, uh, taking, uh, you know, if not bribes, certainly uh, money to... Uh, to uh, you know, to to uh, help uh, our friends yeah, in various the, policies. The, the thing, you know, it's, it's easy to get cynical and, uh, you know... I don't want to be cynical. Just, just criticise, and, and, we, and we do it sometimes because it's a bit of fun, I guess. It's a bit of fun. But... Uh, these things only look bad once you actually, you know, pop out of the paradigm and you're looking back at it from a different set of values. And when you're inside the paradigm, it's kind of like being in a poker game. You know, if you're a poker player and that's what you do, then you don't feel bad about hiding your cards from other people, you know, and you don't feel bad about bluffing someone else uh, to the point where they lose the game it's and you win. It's part of the skills. It's, it's your part, brilliance. It's part of, it's it's part of the you, game. You're cool if you can do that. If exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, we're just, we're living in a world where that game just doesn't work anymore because of the, the transparency that we have from our, our 
social media technology. Yes. Uh, and so, yes, um, I, I think it's, it's, you know, time for a public announcement. Yeah, public announcement. Here it comes. Your attacks upon us will not go unpunished. You are in contravention of the new paradigm. <laughs> You're in contravention of the new paradigm. <laughs> I, it's a bit, bit brave new world, that, a bit, bit uh, being Aldous Huxley in 84, that quote, it's un- unsettling. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's Just about it for us. Adds to the evolutionary tension. It does. We've got to go. Thanks for joining it's us here. It's been fun. On Future Sense. We'll be back next Monday morning, 9 to 11, from myself, Nick Jeans, and... From me, Steve McDonald. It's Steve over there. Yes, it is. Yeah, I love it. Bye-bye. Thanks for (laughs) Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond. Up next. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.